0: The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt them back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 32 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week we're taking a look at Avengers number 30, Frenzy in a Far-Off Land. Our issue was written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Frank Giacoya, and letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in July of 1966. Taking a look at the cover this week, I'm not really thrilled with it. Now don't get me wrong, it's well done. In fact, it's it's very well done. But I am just not a fan of the random floating heads trope that I don't know if it runs rampant in this era, but it certainly occurs fairly frequently, especially with team books. So we've we've seen this before on Avengers 19. You can also see it on X-Men 18, X-Men 22, 30, 29, and 33, and also Journey into Mystery 123. So this isn't just like an isolated incident for this book. It's well done, I'm just not a fan of this particular cover trope. So our issue starts off with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver having a bit of a conversation. Quicksilver is messing around with one of Goliath's cybernetic helmets that he found just kind of laying around. And I kind of have to ask myself, why is he doing this? First off, where did he find it? Was he digging through Goliath's old stuff? was it just sitting around? I have no good data on where this came from and it's kind of random that he's just sitting messing with it, especially since he, generally speaking, hasn't shown any mechanical aptitude. But as Quicksilver is messing around with his helmet, he discovers that Wanda is somewhat distressed and she intends to resign from the Avengers. Now this catches Quicksilver thoroughly off guard and, you know, he wants to know why. Wanda reveals that since the last issue, she feels that her powers have begun to diminish and As it turns out, Pietro feels the same way, and the two of them start to wonder if maybe their powers aren't the mutant powers they thought they had, but in fact there is some element that is tied to their homeland. And so they decide they're going to go back home to Eastern Europe and see if that helps their powers. As they're trying to come to terms with this and decide to go talk to their Avengers teammates, Captain America walks up and says, you know, I, I can't help but i have overheard what you guys are talking about and i understand what you're going through and if you need need to take a few days or a few weeks whatever it is to get yourselves back into fighting shape then go do what you need to do Overall, I'm not a big fan of this. Captain America's response is perfectly fine. But the idea that suddenly, after one issue of a less-than-spectacular performance, somehow Scarlet Witch's powers are diminishing. Like I've said before, her performance in the last several issues, with the exception of last issue, has actually been pretty spectacular. In the fight against the Tuma, she was extremely useful. Even against the Collector and the Beetle, she was useful. So I don't understand where this... ...feeling of inadequacy and diminishing powers is coming from. It seems like it's a plot point shoved into the story that doesn't seem to fit the already established plot, running between issues. I also am hoping that this is not the beginning of a more long-term dividing of the team. We're up to 16 members now, which is the most we've had in Avengers. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not all that many. But we're going to see Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver leave. Goliath we're about to see kind of go off on his own. And at least for the next several issues, and again, I am reading this only a handful of issues ahead of where we're at on the podcast. Everything else is uh, a lot of research involved, but at least what I've seen so far, the team has actually split up a fair amount over the next several issues, and I don't know if I really like that. This is a team book, and I really like it when the team gets to fight as a team. So, like I just mentioned, Goliath is still kind of stuck in his self-pitying mindset. It really is self-pity. At one point, he brings up Janet, but it seems to be more about him than her. He doesn't want her sympathies, things like that. I will agree it is fitting of his old personification, basically pre-wounding of Wasp. However, given his change of heart after that incident I don't know that this really fits with his personality at this point. Now maybe this is just we're getting to see kind of how far he is willing to take that change of heart and that when faced with a difficult situation he reverts to type. But I think at this point it's just backtracking a little bit on character development as opposed to further expansion and investigation of that character development. But as Giant Man is stuck in this cycle of self-pity and frustration he sees that a former college professor of his dr anton is in south america doing research on artificial growth of body cells given that that's what's wrong with goliath he decides that he's going to go pay dr anton a visit and maybe he can help out and solve the problem Goliath goes out and finds this, they call it a rocket-powered air car. It really kind of looks like a jet ski and a rocket-powered Segway. He takes off into the night, basically heading for South America. Now, later on that evening, Janet discovers that Hank has, in fact, left, and she informs the rest of the Avengers about this, which, at this point, the rest of the Avengers are Cap and Hawkeye, because Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have gone off. Cap basically helps to diffuse the situation a little bit. He says, let's not make Hank feel like we're hounding him. He'll come back to us in his own time when he accepts what's going on and who he is. Obviously, this isn't something easy for Wasp to hear, but at least for the moment she accepts it. Meanwhile, elsewhere in New York, we find Black Widow contacting her masters and getting further instructions, to which their response is, no new instructions, go do what the hell we told you to do. And they're suddenly concerned that if Black Widow doesn't finish her mission soon, the brainwashing which they subjected her to may not last, and she may no longer be under their influence. Right in the next panel, we see some doubts begin to creep into Black Widow's mind, and I don't like the way this worked out. At all. I really like... The idea of the doubts starting to creep into Black Widow's mind. But I think that Stanley here is underestimating his audience when he has to spoon feed them the idea that the brainwashing may not last. I think if you start to put those little statements and ideas into the book. You see Black Widow start to doubt her mission. Later on, we will see her help Hawkeye. When you get little things like that, the audience isn't stupid. They start to put that together. And if you want to reveal it later, then that works. But I think to just throw it up front here, does the story a disservice and remove some of the subtlety that could otherwise be present. Now, of course, Black Widow is still teamed up with Power Man and Swordsman, and the two of them start fighting over Black Widow. She's a very attractive woman. Both men have a bit of an ego, especially Swordsman. Swordsman thinks of himself as very swashbuckling, very suave, and thinks of Power Man as just kind of a really strong idiot. So, needless to say, the two of them get in a pretty sizable fight. Although they are eventually broken up by Black Widow, I think maybe a little later than she should have if these guys are supposed to be your allies and obviously allied with each other and you know these two individuals to be as proud as they are especially swordsmen if you let the fight go on too long you run the risk of one of them having their pride injured in the more long term which will then obviously undercut your alliance with them and their confidence in the group dynamic if you will So, while Black Widow talks about saving their fighting strength for the Avengers, we cut back to the Avengers, who decide that they need to go find Black Widow, Power Man, and Swordsman, because they know they're still out there somewhere, and until they are found, they are a threat. The team all split up, and they go out in search of either Black Widow, Swordsman, or Power Man, or information about them. Cap takes the car, which is just, it's kind of funny for Cap because we've got all this super science technology and stuff, and Cap just is driving around in a car in costume. It's very antiquated of him to do that, and very fitting of the character. Hawkeye takes the transistor-powered scout ship, so we have something transistor-powered, and a new aircraft for the episode, so take a drink. I'm really starting to think that the different aircraft episode, sometimes multiple different aircrafts per episode, could be a fun drinking game. Especially if you decide to listen to multiple episodes at once. That could be dangerous, but fun. Anyways, the last of our three Avengers, Wasp, decides to duck in and out of basically every bar in the shadiest parts of New York to see whatever information she can find. And Wasp is the one who finds information she sees. A couple of thugs talking about a woman dressed in all black down in a warehouse on the corner of Bleecker Street and she assumes that that has to be Black Widow There's a great panel here of wasp listening in the conversation behind a glass and you know she's front and center on the the panel but behind her is th- this guy's burning cigar kind of the opposite of giant man here but it gives a great sense of scale as to how small wasp actually is and it's just a really cool looking panel wasp travels back to the avengers and informs them of what she has found and hawkeye kind of oddly requests to go take on power man and swordsman alone I get why Hawkeye wants to do this because he feels he needs to prove himself again after what happened last issue. What I don't understand is why Captain America lets him go. The reality is that Power Man and Swordsman beat Hawkeye really pretty quickly last issue and there is nothing to think that they can't do that again. And in fact... To be honest, Power Man and Swordsman together were a fair match for the Avengers as a whole. Really, it was the timely arrival of Goliath that prevented disaster. So why Captain America allows Hawkeye to go on his own, I don't really understand. Also, there is just a god-awful panel in this sequence where it is Hawkeye and Cap talking. They are completely in shadow, except for the H on his cowl. There's no purpose. So I've talked about before how I really enjoy some of those panels where people are are running in front of something and they're just silhouetted with the background all cool. And I do, because those work in the story. In this case, both Avengers are in a perfectly well-lit room and there's no, no reason for that panel to just be in silhouette. I don't know why it's the way it is, but it doesn't fit. It's weird where you have just the red, the black, and there's a little bit of purple so that the audience knows which one's Cap and which one's Hawkeye. It just, it doesn't work on any level. So while Hawkeye is getting ready to go face off with Power Man and Swordsman, we find Goliath arriving in South America. He enters Dr. Anton's lab to find it just totally trashed, and then he's jumped by five guys, who are some of the most Jack Kirby-looking individuals, not drawn by Jack Kirby. So for the rest of this issue and into next issue, we see these... Characters from this hidden society, we will find out much later in the future that it is actually El Dorado and that these gentlemen are descendant of the Incas, but they are just so Jack Kirby, it's really spectacular. And while Jack Kirby is the Marvel House style of this time period, each individual artist does have their own skill set and style, and Don Heck is not overly Kirby, but he does a very good job of mimicking Kirby's style with these individuals, it's really kind of cool. It's also entertaining to me because of Goliath's size. It reminds me a little bit of... Gulliver's Travels with the Lilliputians, where at one point here, Goliath has five of these guys trying to hold him down, and he just kind of throws them off, and eventually just picks one up and tells him, alright, you're gonna tell me where we're we're going here, where's Dr. Anton, and just carries him under his arm. I realize plot-wise that it's very different than Gulliver's Travel, but the image of all these guys trying to hold down this much larger guy, that's the mental image it invoked for me. So as Goliath wanders off into this system of caves, where these gentlemen came from to go search for Dr. Anton, Hawkeye makes his assault on Power Man and Swordsman. Initially, it goes about as well as you'd think it would. Hawkeye does, in fact, surprise Power Man and Swordsman, but the two of them quickly get the upper hand. Hawkeye tries to swing in from the roof. Swordsman cuts his rope. Hawkeye falls. It's interesting here, at least when he falls, that he invokes training that he got from Captain America. And it's an interesting juxtaposition because part of the reason Hawkeye is here is to prove himself against his former mentor, Swordsman. And part of doing so is that he now is using training he got from Captain America, who in many ways has taken over that role of mentor. Obviously, it's not a relationship that Hawkeye, I think, would acknowledge the mentor-mentee relationship between he and Captain America, but the more you start to look at it, especially with the change in attitudes over the last couple of issues, I think it's starting to become that more and more. I also like the fact that when Hawkeye falls, he loses all of his arrows. At least for a little bit, he has to rely almost entirely on this training instead of being an archer. It is very easy for a character like Hawkeye, who is so specifically associated with a gimmick like archery, for that character to be completely defined by that gimmick. And when his ability to use the gimmick has been removed i.e his arrows are removed or he's out of them or something then the character becomes useless and i like the fact that there is a conscious effort for hawkeye to be more than just this gimmick yes he fights power man with his bow using it as a weapon but it is not in the typical sense you would think of for an archery based character and i really appreciate that it gives the character additional depth Once Hawkeye gets his arrows back, he absolutely uses them. He shoots out the floor beneath Power Man and drops him out of the picture, making good use of the tactic we've seen several villains use of divide and conquer, because Hawkeye should be aware at this point he is not going to win this fight if he has to fight Power Man and Swordsman on his own at the same time. There is a chance he can beat them individually, but there is almost no chance that he can beat them simultaneously. Even with Power Man out of... The picture swordsman still puts up a pretty substantial fight in large part due to the fact that he has this super powerfully modified sword that was given to him by the mandarin more specifically his sword was taken and modified by the mandarin so now he's able to shoot energy projections and lightning and fire and things from his sword and because of this hawkeye has to take cover behind a crate where he runs into black widow who offers to give him his arrows back of course when he reaches for them she blasts him with her Bite of the Black Widow. Hawkeye is kind of momentarily stunned, though he eventually throws his bow at her, knocking her out and then taking his arrows. At this point, we set up for a showdown between Swordsman and Hawkeye. However, before we get there, we are going to once again cut back to South America and the super Jack Kirby society living beneath the ground in what is referred to as the Forbidden Land. It'll be determined to be El Dorado, but we see the Keeper of the Flame who rules over these people because Dr. Anton has inadvertently stumbled upon them. He was looking for a large power source, which... Is It's implied to be the Flame of Life that the Keeper of the Flame is protecting, but because he has stumbled upon this Flame of Life and is unwelcome, he is going to be executed for his trespasses. However, right as they are about to execute Dr. Anton, the Keeper of the Flame gets a report that there are giants coming, or a giant, a single giant, He leads the assembled group in a prayer to the flame, which interestingly enough, although it might be a little weird, it's kind of entertaining that you could exchange sacred flame of life for really any deity, especially any version of the Judeo-Christian God. And the prayer actually works fairly well still. The prayer goes something like this. O sacred flame of life, you have sustained us since before memory of man, and now, in your moment of peril, we shall not fail you. None shall ever betray your secret, not while a single one here in the forbidden land remains alive. Though we be menaced by giants, though we are beset by all manners of danger, the keeper of the flame shall be victorious. With the exception of the, though we be menaced by giants, I could see this is a bad medieval prayer or something. In fact, even medieval prayers might have being menaced by giants in there. They were a superstitious lot. Now, just as the Keeper of the Flame finishes his prayer, the assembled mass notices Giant Man, and they all begin to attack. And it's really kind of funny because, one, Giant Man is still holding this poor guy he took captive, and two, it looks like Giant Man is waving to the crowd. Like, they're all angry, and he's just like, hey, hey guys, what's going on? Oh, oh, this isn't going well at all, as they open fire on him. So, the angry crowd chases after Giant Man, and just as they have backed him into a corner, all of the lights go out, and Giant Man is approached by an individual introducing himself as Prince Ray, the rightful ruler of the Forbidden Land. And apparently, Prince Ray is the only one who possesses a black light, which is what has been used to make everything dark. Now, I really like the fact that black light has... A different connotation in modern times than what it does here in the 1960s. A, it's really humorous, and B, especially with all of these neon Kirby-esque coloring, I could really see a pretty impressive rave breaking out here where conditions are a little bit different. It'd be really cool looking. And apparently the prince has a black light, so there you go. Now again, back in New York, we see the showdown between Swordsman and Hawkeye. And yes, we are doing quite a bit of jumping around in this issue, kind of back and forth. I will say, though, it's done, I think, really well in the fact that the jumping around points help build some narrative tension. They pick very good cliffhanger moments to go ahead and make that cut. Hawkeye and Swordsman start to throw down At first, it looks like Swordsman has pretty quickly defeated Hawkeye, only it turns out that Hawkeye is playing Possum, and that once Swordsman gets close to try and finish off Hawkeye, Hawkeye is able to disable Swordsman and then defeat him, because you know, Hawkeye at this point is taking out a lot of pretty pent-up aggression. There is a lot that has been simmering between these two, especially on Hawkeye's side for a while, and Hawkeye really feels the need to prove himself against his former mentor. So when he gets the chance, He really doesn't hold back. With Swordsman out of the picture, that still leaves Power Man. And unfortunately for Hawkeye, Power Man gets a pretty solid hold on him. The only reason that Hawkeye is able to get away is because Black Widow intervenes and she uses her Widow's Bite on Power Man. Hawkeye then manages to bring down part of the building on Power Man and Swordsman. He and Black Widow have a somewhat touching reunion here, and it looks like Black Widow's brainwashing has finally worn off. Like I said earlier, this is what her overseers were afraid of, and we started to see hints of that earlier in the issue, and it looks like it has come to fruition. Now, I'm kind of with Hawkeye here. I want to believe that Black Widow has come to her senses, but I'm not totally convinced. And this issue will actually leave that kind of up in the air. Back at Avengers Mansion, we see Wasp watching the news and... Down in South America, police are looking for Dr. Anton. As they're reporting from South America, she notices that their missing air car that Hank took is visible in the news footage. She runs off and tells Captain America where they can find Goliath. And finally, our issue ends with two panels. One of Prince Ray leading Goliath deeper into the tunnels to escape from the Keeper of the Flame. And then finally, the Keeper of the Flame mustering his guards in order order to pursue Goliath and the prince and so next issue we will pick up the rest of this story overall this is a pretty good issue the storytelling itself is pretty good with the exception of giving away the Black Widow story point a little earlier than I think they should have I think they do a really good job of cutting back and forth at properly dramatic moments so that they can keep the tension going in the book and keep readers interested and just in general keep the story moving better. Kind of my biggest thing here at the end is I don't really know where Black Widow stands at the end of this issue. Now, I think that's a very intentional decision, and I don't necessarily need resolution right now. Looking down the road, in the long run, Black Widow will... First be an ally of the team and then obviously become a member of the team later down the road. However, it's hard to tell if this is brainwashing and her trying to play Hawkeye or if this is her overcoming that brainwashing and coming to her senses and trying to reconnect with her former love. I also really love all of the Jack Kirby-ness of this book. We have Don Heck's art style, which in a lot of ways, at least on this book, I think I prefer to Jack Kirby. Especially some of the early Kirby work in this book was rough. So was the early Don Heck, but I think Don Heck's been on this book long enough now that he's really gotten a sense of the characters and how to draw them well. And I think Jack Kirby's style lends itself better to something like Thor or Fantastic Four, where it doesn't lend itself as well, I think, to the Avengers. But in a situation like this, where we've got this special hidden culture, I think the Jack Kirby elements in their design are just fantastic. It's the same reason that Journey Into Mystery Thor looks so good with Jack Kirby's work. It's because you can do all these really cool, funky things. They're not just wearing suits and ties or even basic superhero costumes, you can do all kinds of outlandish things with their costumes and their buildings and everything because they don't have to function in real life. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be diving into Avengers number 31, Never Bug a Giant. All right, hey! All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.